Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. Uh, even just now in the prayer, uh, one of the things that Scripture teaches us is that we are strangers and exiles in this land, right? That we are, uh, having been set free from a world of sin and death, we are on a pilgrimage, each and every one of us, pressing on uh, towards the world that God has promised, uh, promised us as His children. We've been in a sermon series in the book of Exodus uh, for the past uh, couple months, which maybe above all the other uh, books of Scripture helps to set that framework for us of what our journey through the wilderness of this world looks like, of the temptations that come in and affect us in the midst of it, of the hopes that stir within us and motivate us as we go, and above all, of the presence of God in our lives who has redeemed us and who is leading us towards His promise. And so this morning we're in Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17. Uh, If you're willing and able, would you please stand as we read God's word together? I'll be reading today from Exodus 13, 17 through 14, 4. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, though that was near. For God said, lest this people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham, on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Ziphon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. You can be seated. You know, there was a trend uh, probably starting around the year 2000 as churches around the country did the the long, hard work of strategic planning, when it seems like most churches, uh, loving a good wordplay as we preachers do, could not resist labeling their long-term plan, their 2020 vision, right? Everybody had had these grand visions of what life was going to be like for their ministry or their church in 2020, how many members they would have, what kind of buildings they would build, how much money they would raise, conversions they would see, churches they would plant by the year 2020. 
All of this seemed good and wise to us until 2020 actually happened. A year that nobody could have seen coming, uh, that has left most churches, instead of building grand plans for what they want to be and do, struggling and trying to survive, trying to figure out how do you provide meaningful community and pastoral care and worship and all of these things in the midst of a pandemic. Of a, of a, of a pandemic. How do we maintain unity in the midst of civil and political unrest? How do we depolarize life in the community of God? 2020 is a picture of how life has a way of frustrating our vision, right? That we think we know which way we ought to go. We think we have good dreams of what we ought to accomplish. We think we know the plan and the way that we are to walk. But life has a way of disorienting us. It has a way of turning us around to where we don't know the right way to go. And so how do we follow Jesus when we don't know where we're going? How do we follow God when we are disoriented and confused by what he's doing and where he's leading? How do we follow Jesus when we don't know where he's going or where we're going? Perhaps you can resonate with the words of Thomas Uh, a man who, uh, the disciple of Jesus, who perhaps unfairly is often called Doubting Thomas by history. Lord, we do not know where you are going, he asks in John 14. So how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? We find ourselves in our lives often like Israel in our text today. We know that God has saved us. Right, This was as real as the air that Israel breathed. They had been set free from slavery in Egypt. They had seen God's saving power and his grace in their lives. He had broken the will of Pharaoh and his slave masters. He had let them go out of slavery. So they knew that God had saved. They knew that God had cared. They knew he had intervened. They had seen his goodness in their past, in this case, their very recent past. And he has made promises for their future, right? He had promised Abraham a land flowing with milk and honey, a good and bountiful place to make his home. And so Israel knew God's goodness in their past. They'd received promises about their future. But in the meantime, they were led out into an unmapped wilderness. They were led out into a world where the way forward was not immediately clear to them. In fact, God tells us in this, uh, in this section that he actually leads them a different way than anyone would have gone. Right? Not only is it a way they didn't know where they were going, God then leads them by a route that is not the most direct route. He takes the long way in getting them to where he wants to get them. And so we, like Israel, live in this in-between time confident in our better moments of God's goodness to us because of Jesus, aware of his mercy given to us on the cross, aware that we've been set free. Maybe you have a personal testimony and a story of the way God intervened in your life to set you free when you didn't believe you could ever be free. And we've received promises, right? I mean, think of just the glorious promises that await at the end of our Bible. If you read Revelation and it ends with the kings of this world, handing their kingdoms over to the Lord Jesus. It ends with the hands of Jesus wiping away every tear from every cheek on the face of the earth. And so we have the past and we have promises of the future, but most of us currently today feel like we're wandering around unsure of what today holds, of what tomorrow holds, 
of how to follow Jesus in the midst of it. And so this is a good passage for this week. You know, I was reading last week um, a passage uh, from St. Augustine. Uh, This was in his book, The City of God. Uh, He was writing uh, in a tumultuous political time. We think our uh, political era is tumultuous. Augustine was living through the collapse of the Roman Empire. The probably the most uh, what people would have believed was the most was the most strong and stable political entity on earth. He had been invaded by barbarians and was in the midst of crumbling. And into that world, Augustine had this insight. He said there exists in the world at all times two cities the city of God and the city of man. And that the city of God, that is the church, that group of people that are oriented around the love of God rather than the love of self, is always what he called a pilgrim city. That we are always a people on a journey. That there's times where we're able to live at greater or lesser peace with the city of man. But that we are always, in Peter's language, strangers and exiles here. And so God leads his people on a journey where he knows where he's taking them, but they don't know the way. And before he goes forward, he gives them two gifts for this journey, two tools to help them on their way. We saw last week that he gives them the gift of memory, right? That he, remember, he instills uh, and commands them to keep the Passover, this remembrance year after year of his saving mercy and leading them out of Egypt. So he promises them, he gives them this gift of memory and says, remember who I am and what I've done. And then this week he gives them another gift, the gift of his personal presence with them as they go. By the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. God says to his people, you're not just going to be forever remembering what I had done, but that I am going to be present with you In and of myself, I am going to be with you, guiding you like a shepherd through this wilderness. I was not only with you when I saved you and brought you out of Egypt. I am with you today. I am with you even still. And so, what can we learn about our journey here, about our pilgrimage through this world? Well, the first thing that we can learn is that our journey has a problem. And the problem is that like Israel, we are regularly going to be tempted to turn back. That regularly we are going to come to a point where we wonder if the journey is worth it, if God can be trusted, and if he really is going to get us to where he says he's going to get us. Look at what God says in verse 17. He did not take them to the land of the Philistines, though that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. One might legitimately ask, how on earth could Israel ever change their minds? Right? You might think if this was a people who had been living for 400 plus years under slavery in Egypt, a group of people who had been dehumanized and brutalized, under Pharaoh's regime, how immediately after seeing God miraculously free them, they could get into the wilderness, see the Philistines, and go, eh, maybe we ought to go back. Maybe slavery under Egypt wasn't all that bad. 
Because at least we had security, at least we knew what tomorrow held, at least we weren't out here in this wilderness wondering what was going to come next. This is going to be a recurring theme in the book of Exodus, Israel's persistent temptation to go back to Egypt. It's going to come up again and again and again over the course of the story. When they get thirsty, they're going to say, back in Egypt, we had water. When they get hungry, they're going to say, back in Egypt, we had, you know, we were slaves, sure, but we had three good meals a day. At least back then, even if we were living under the shadow of death, at least we were comfortable. At least we knew what to expect. Friends, the Christian life is always a call out of what is comfortable and yet deadly into what is uncomfortable and yet full of life. Right In our fallen nature, we have a tendency to become comfortable with things we ought to never be comfortable with. We have a way of becoming comfortable in our addictions and in our sin. We have our way of getting comfortable in our broken relationships. We have a way of getting comfortable with the ways of this world. And leaving them feels like death to us. If you've ever had the experience of being confronted by someone, a friend, a family member, who sees something sinful in your life and they intervene... And they say, this addiction is killing you. You have to leave it. You, you'll know that experience of getting, a, your first response is usually to get defensive. To usually say, no, I can't leave here. I can't let this thing go. I can't leave this relationship. I can't learn this new way of being. And so because of sin, we always get comfortable with things that we ought not be comfortable with. Because they slowly kill us. And what Jesus invites us into is uncertain and feels uncomfortable. And yet it's the place where he promises us life and where life can flourish. You know, it's interesting. We're in the book of Exodus. It's a long book. We're going to be in Exodus for a little while. Uh, and you might look at it and go, you know what? We're 12 chapters in and it seems like all the action has already happened. Right? We're 12 chapters in and I thought the point was to get Israel out of Egypt and now they're out. What are we going to spend the next 38 chapters talking about? And there's something instructive in that, that it takes God only 12 chapters to get his people, to get Israel out of Egypt. And it takes the rest of the Bible for him to get Egypt out of his people. It takes him the rest of the story to get those old idols, those old ways of living, those old attachments, those old ways of being out of the hearts of his people. Friends, it's the same in our life. Right? Jesus saved us. He has saved us on a hill outside of Jerusalem where he suffered and died. That part of our story we can trust is done. When Jesus says, it is finished, it is finished. Jesus, by his power, has gotten us out of sin and death and misery through a simple act of faith. And yet most of our lives is a journey of getting our old attachments out of us, our love of sin, our love of self, our love of the world, to get it to purge our hearts to the point where we can receive what Jesus has to offer us. There will be a constant temptation to turn back, a constant temptation towards our old ways and our old comforts. And yet what Jesus offers is better. So God doesn't lead the people of Israel in a way that they can understand. But he does lead them in a way that's good for them. I love how tender he actually is here with them, even though he's leading them into the wilderness. 
He says, I'm not going to take you through the Philistines because you might be tempted to turn back. Right? There's an incredible tenderness to his leadership here where he says, no, you're not ready for that right now. You're not ready to walk through that because your faith is too fragile, your hope is too frail. So I'll lead you another way. I'll lead you the way that you would choose if you understood your own frailty and weakness. I'll lead you in the way that you would go if you knew what I know. I love what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Paul says to a group of struggling Christians much like ourselves that you have not been tempted beyond what you can bear. Right, that, that as tempted as we often are to turn back, as tempted as we often are to give up, that God says, I won't lead you in a way that you'll be tempted beyond what you can withstand, a way that you'll be tempted beyond your capacity to trust and to follow. If you're like me, you need to hear that 2020 is not more than you can bear. Right, a pandemic is not more than you can bear, an election is not more than you can bear. Right? All of these things are within what you can bear, not because you're particularly strong. Right? It certainly feels, it, there have been moments where it's felt like far more than I could bear. But because Jesus is near to us, because he holds us, because he's promised to never leave us or forsake us, because he promises to honor even small and weak faith, he promises that when our faith is smoldering, he won't snuff it out. And when it's weak, he won't break it. And we know this, we know that we can go on our journey because of the second thing that I want us to see here is that God has given us this gift for the journey, his personal presence in our lives. Look at what he says in verse 21. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. These two symbols, the fire and the cloud, uh, were introduced to here, but they become a symbol of God's personal presence with his people throughout the pages of the Bible. We see it first uh, when God appears to Abraham and he makes his covenant with him, and he passes through in a fire and a smoking pot, making his covenant on himself, making his promises to Abraham. We see it when God appears to Moses in the bush that burns but isn't consumed by the fire. We see it when the cloud of God's glory fills the temple when it's concluded. We see it tragically when the cloud of his glory leaves the temple after his people's sin. We hear it in the words of Jesus when Jesus says in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Right? I am the fire that guides. I am the personal presence of God here with you. We see it in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit falls on the early church and tongues of fire seem to set on their heads at Pentecost. That God has promised to be with us. That His promise here with His people, that He leads His church, He leads Israel by the fire by night and the cloud by day is a symbol that He is personally with them as a friend, as a leader, guiding them. That though Moses is their human leader, that God himself shepherds them through this wilderness. He is their king. He is their guide. Jesus promises to the church that he leads us in this exact same way. 
that when he pours out his spirit on us, that he's given us his very self, that he's given us his fire in our bones, he's given us his cloud of glory, he's given us his personal presence to lead us through this world. I love that God guides them not just during the daytime, right? Not just when it's sunny and clear and they can see the cloud, but when the sun goes down, imagine the first night when they'd been following a cloud and then it sets and they can't see it. I'm sure they wondered, well, where do we go now? Who do we follow now? And then a fire lights up and continues to guide. God leads us in the day and the night when it's clear and when it's cloudy. That God's presence uh, is never altered. That we live by the Spirit. Paul tells us, I believe drawing on these same metaphors in Galatians, Uh, Galatians 3 and 4, he makes a lot out of the freedom that we have in Christ. Like Israel, we've been set free from slavery. And then in chapter 5, he says this, walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Just like Israel set free from slavery, now you follow the fire and the cloud. You follow the Spirit. Keep up, keep step, keep your eyes on the Spirit of God among you, living with you and giving you life. The Christian faith, now we talked last week about the gift of memory, the gift of remembering who Jesus is and what he's done for us, remembering our forgiveness, remembering the cross. But the personal presence of God means that Christianity is never a matter simply of creative memory or of remembering God in the past without evidence of his presence in our present. Right? That, it, that it, we are encouraged by looking backwards. But that Christianity does not just look backwards, that it also experiences God in our present. That He is our comforter, He is our life. We can know Him in the here and now, today, as clearly as Jesus' disciples walked with Him when He was on the earth. We live within the presence of the living God. So we've looked at the problem of the journey, the gift for the journey, and now I want to end by looking at the great end of God's, glory, of, of God's journey that he's called us on. The great end of the journey is that, we, that our story ends in the glory of God. That the ending of our story is not up for grabs. That the ending of our story was not uh, in any way altered by the events of this electoral season. Right? You received neither a savior uh, nor an enemy. Right, that, that we live in a world where the end of our story has already been written. What is the end of our story? Look at what God says in, uh, in chapter 14 now, looking at verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. That the story of the entire world ends in the glory of God. Right, that, that is the, the God of the universe created all things to lend towards his own glory. That he would receive the worship of all the people of the earth, every tribe, tongue, and nation. That he would receive glory in a broken world made whole again. Sinners redeemed again. That the story ends in God's glory. The story ends in beauty and gladness and celebration and joy. And I love this little detail that God's story ends in glory even when it doesn't look that way to us. Even when we don't know what's going on. Even if we're tempted to believe 
that all is lost. Look at the little detail here in verse 19. Remember the circumstances under which they left Egypt. They were packing their bags quickly. They were hustling out after the Passover, but not before Moses grabbed something. Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Imagine that kind of faith. Joseph, the man sold into slavery by his own brothers. Joseph, the man who lived and died in Egypt. A man who knew God's promises to Abraham and yet lived under Pharaoh. That as he died, he asked his sons and his brothers to take his bones back to the land when God came to set them free. And so even after Pharaoh forgets Joseph, even after the people are enslaved, God's promise to his people wasn't lost. The faith that animated Joseph in his life was even able to animate him in his death, saying, don't forget my bones when you go. I, I may die here, but I want to get to the land that God has promised because I know that God will get you there. I know that God will get us there. And friends, God will get us there. God will deliver us to the land that he's promised us. God will lead by his personal presence. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can take you at your word when you said that you will never leave us or forsake us that we can believe your word when you promised that you would be with us even to the end of the age. And so, Lord, though we walk through an age that is a mixture of light and darkness, though we live through an age of real joys and deep sorrows, though we are often confused and don't know the way that we ought to go, Lord Jesus, you lead us like a shepherd. You have not left us as orphans here, Lord, but you have given us another comforter, your spirit, to comfort, lead, guide, and direct us. And so, Lord, when our days seem dark and confusing, Lord, we pray that you would lead us into your promise that you've given us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.